Dennis Stewart, you've talked a lot about the association of diet and disease and curing disease, but recently you've had remarkable confirmation of this. In fact, I have, Jane, and interestingly it came from one of my patients who has just returned from a holiday in Africa with an amazing testimony as to the benefit of diet in helping resolve a very, very dangerous disease that we've frequently spoken about. Tell us about this, mm. this case you're talking Look, about. Look, it's, it's very interesting. You and I, on this program for quite a long time, Jane, have uh, talked about, for instance, the, uh, the epidemic of uh, type 2 diabetes, particularly in the Western world. But interestingly, uh, type 2 diabetes also is now asserting itself in what we might refer to as the developing world, and it's asserting itself in the context of uh, many people moving from a traditional environment into an urban area and in the urban area being confronted by a lot of the foods that are distinctly uh, Western in origin, uh, changing their diet and getting into uh, the urban food uh, situation, so to speak. And as a result of that and the lifestyle that goes with urbanisation, uh, many uh, people coming from the traditional village background in, in African countries are starting to develop uh, diseases such as type 2 diabetes. And the unfortunate thing, of course, is that in many of these countries, uh, the management may not be as good uh, as what it might be in countries such as our own. And so it becomes a, a huge health problem uh, for people in those countries um, who are confronted with, with a basically a life-threatening disease. And one of my patients has just returned uh, from Africa uh, and uh, she has been visiting some relatives whom she'd not seen for a, quite a number of years. And in fact, uh, she visited one relative uh, who she f uh, thought w this would be the last time that she would see her because the last time she saw her, the lady was very, very unwell uh, in a very advanced state of type 2 diabetes and dependent upon multiple medications uh, to keep her going. Uh, this time, when my patient went to visit her aunt, the aunt had returned to her village, which was quite some distance from the capital city where she had gone uh, years ago. She'd returned to her village, and quite remarkably... As a result of returning to her village and adapting once more to her village lifestyle, uh, was able, in fact, to reverse, with the help, obviously, of a doctor, um, to reverse her type 2 crisis to the point now where she is essentially um, dependent only on one medication, which is a very good and safe medication known as metformin, um, and has turned her health situation right around and uh, my patient who herself is African is quite quite surprised at the reversal and we spent some time talking together about the difference in the diet that her aunt was uh, re-establishing at the uh, traditional village level to the diet that she had for some time so been ingesting in the city. What were the main changes? Well the main changes the was this in, in the urban areas of many African cities, the, the diet is very much structured around uh, what we refer to as the crisis in carbohydrate addiction. Uh, 
what this means is uh, in many African countries uh, they have succumbed to what one uh, doctor years ago referred to as the carbohydrate addiction that was characteristic of the West but now is entrenched in many parts of Africa. So uh, moving away from a traditional diet and ingesting the sorts of foods that we see in our towns, uh, fast foods particularly, or if not fast foods, uh, packaged foods, prepared foods, foods that are that are rich in energy but low in protein, and foods, unfortunately, foods and drink, and let me emphasise that, foods and drink and usually sugary drinks available in urban areas, these, of course, then precipitate the, the epidemic of obesity, even in some African uh, town situations, and as a result of that lead to the development of type 2. When uh, people uh, such as this lady we're talking about now, in desperation perhaps, or uh, wanting to return uh, to their own village in order to die, when they go back and slot back into village life and start to eat the diet, now you ask, what is the diet? I learned from my patient who has just returned from Africa that the diet that her aunt now lives on, which is the village diet that she'd been raised on, was essentially a vegetable-based diet, very, very highly representative of vegetables in the diet. And the vegetables are grown, homegrown vegetables (laughs) grown in the village by the individual ingester. So vegetables take a predominant role in the diet, a small amount of protein, which uh, is, is usually goat or lamb that's usually, again, raised in the village itself, um, a small amount of goat's milk, um, and uh, homegrown corn. Now, all those things uh, emphasise the movement away from refined carbohydrates, moving away from sugary-type foods, getting back to foods that are essentially vegetarian uh, and full of roughage. And as a result of that, that is sufficient over a period of time to strip some of the obesity away from people with type 2 and lead to a situation where under her doctor's management she was able to get away from most of the complicated medications she was taking because her village diet, based essentially on vegetables, based essentially on homegrown vegetables, corn with its roughage, some goat's milk, goat's milk and a small amount of animal protein, what a wonderful way and what a wonderful diet when you think about it. And that is, of course, the, the diet that many Africans have lived on for hundreds of years. But unfortunately, uh, in many African countries, the, the lure of the West and Western foods and Western supermarkets and prepared foods and sweet drinks, fizzy drinks full of sugar, that unfortunately is infiltrated and led to this crisis. But here was one instant reported to me by one of my delightful African patients about a relative who has reversed her type 2 by doing the things that we've spoken about on this program frequently, getting away from the carbohydrate addiction that characterises us in the West, getting back to a simplified diet structured around the things that we've spoken about, fresh fruits and a lot of vegetables, a heap of roughage in crude grain products and moderate levels of protein. Save this woman's life. Uh, would you say that simplifying her diet was the main factor in helping I, I her? Thought, I thought a lot about that term, uh, Jane, and I think it's a, an excellent uh, term to describe what happened in this woman's case. Uh, getting away from 
sophisticated dietary habits and getting away from a sophisticated eating lifestyle, uh, getting back to a simplification of the diet was basically that woman's salvation. And when I thought a lot about it, it seems to me that there's a lesson to be learned from this uh, lady's experience that we tend now in our society, I believe, to place too much emphasis on fanciness in foods. Uh, The number of food programs that are out there now uh, all preaching the gospel that the more uh, beautiful, the more tasty, the more complex, uh, more recipe book type of stuff that, uh, that that you know and use, the better your lifestyle. Well, I think we're starting to learn that there's a bit of a price with that. And, and I live in an area in the Hunter Valley where only, say, a generation ago, uh, people knew nothing about sophisticated foods. Working-class people lived on working-class tucker. Many of those people lived a simplified lifestyle with a simplified diet, and many, many of them, including my dear mother, lived to 90 years of age. Now, what did they do? They lived a simplified or a simple lifestyle, which they were used to and had no other aspirations than to live that lifestyle, and their food was simple food, plenty of it, and in fact many of it, or much of it, was homegrown. There was a lot of self-sufficiency, similar to this lady's African experience, and I thought a lot about it. I I was saying to myself, and I was talking to my dear wife about it, have we reached a stage, even in our own lifestyles, when we should be taking on board some of what we're learning from other cultures, that the more simple the lifestyle, the more simple the diet, the more simple and unsophisticated the food we eat, the healthier seems to be the outcome. And that's a conclusion that I'm reaching, and I think it's a message that needs to be taken on board by a lot of the the, the people that are expounding the virtues of sophisticated eating and and dining out, etc. Is this the way to go, or are we having ourselves on, painting ourselves into a corner, when we're escaping the best tradition that we have, and that is from a a generation ago, when people lived just as long lives as we're living on food and tucker, if you like to call it that, which was as simple as this dear African lady's diet. Just before we go to Debbie's question, um, Dennis, um, your your mother, who lived such Mm. a good age, um, did she drive? (laughs) <laughs> my my mother never ever <laughs> could get behind a wheel. But look, I I, I could uh, in many ways. Therefore, she was a little bit prob- probably like this dear African lady we're talking about. My mother was a dear simple girl of the coal fields, born in the depression at Stanford Bertha, one of nine kids, who all the time told us about those days. The uh, she talked about people that would barter, uh, swap things. Uh, uh, get food for this or that, and she spoke about going to school with uh, with, with with sandwiches with uh, dripping and and pepper and salt on them, bare feet up to to carry a school from Stanford Bertha, uh, and as I say, she lived to ninety years of age. Her, her food was never ever fancy food. In fact, to, to take my mother out uh, to a restaurant, it was a bit embarrassing because she would forego many of the gourmet-type dishes there and would often ask for some of the most simplified and embarrassing food that she could possibly provide it with. But she was a good example of what I'm trying to talk about, and I do think about it a lot, Jane. 
we need to get back to a simplified lifestyle, simplified tucker for goodness sake. It's not that expensive. The expensive stuff is the prepared stuff and the prepared stuff frequently is prepared in a way, particularly if it's uh, packaged carbohydrates, that is dangerous in my opinion. Well, Debbie has rung in from Talara on 49216216. Debbie, your mother's a diabetic, is she? And she's uh, having some problems. Yes, she is. Mum's diabetes. Oh, first of all, hello, Jane. Hi, Dennis. Hello, Debbie. Lovely to listen to your show. You're still a great job. Thank you. Um, my mum's diabetes would appear to have come just with age. Mum's yes. almost 80. Yes. Um, she eats normal, good old-fashioned foods yes. and that, so, yeah. Yes. Um, I, on the other hand, it's a bit different with me. I was hurt, like, 38 years ago, mm. limited with what I can do physically, so I've sort mm. of just grown sure. and sure. eaten too much of the Western food, I'm sure. But um, Mum's at the point now where also she's... Because of her other medical conditions, she yes. can't have surgery for anything because yes. it will not go well. Yes. Um, but she's having internal bleeding and she's uh, anemic. Yes. And they're talking about mm-hmm. uh, wanting to give her, because they don't want to give her, hang on, what is it? Um, iron. Yes. Iron infusion mm-hmm. could be better because of polyps and that. We don't want yes. to strain her, may bind her, taking it orally. Yes. Yes. So can you explain to us what... This actually is apparently it lasts for three months. That's correct. Look, uh, I, I know, I know a little bit. I know a little about this, uh, Debbie, because Great. one of my one of my daughters um, uh, has had to have frequent iron infusions okay. uh, due to um, her uh, what you might call dysfunctional uh, reproductive system. The she has very very heavy periods, yeah. uh, which last for a long time, and she becomes very significantly anemic and uh, she uh, has had a number of infusions as a means of um, coping with this until she passes through a stage in her life when um, when menstruation will cease yeah. so it's a very very common medical procedure a safe medical procedure and, cool. I, und- and I understand why your medical practitioners are recommending this because uh, the tableted or oral form of iron does in some people precipitate uh, a degree of constipation um, which could exacerbate uh, any problem that she's having with the bowel. So I would just reassure mum that it's a safe medical uh, procedure that will um, help her iron levels remain stable and give her the the energy uh, to be able to get on with the life. Well, that'd be wonderful because even in the middle of summer when I'm sweltering, yeah. mum yeah. is freezing cold. Yeah, yeah. no, I understand. And she, she's not steady on her feet. Mm. She's had a few falls, sure, so sure. that but may have precipitated sure. from that too. You, but you tell her she's, I'm, uh, I'm hoping it'll give her energy. You, you tell her that she's, she's having good care, that the procedure that she's undergoing is a good medical procedure with a good outcome and she can be confident of it. This is Health Naturally on 2 and RFM, 26 to 1, taking your calls on 49216216. And Ray has rung in from Warners Bay. Now, you've had a squamous cell carcinoma removed from your leg and you've got a bit of problem with the healing around that area, have you? That's correct, yes. Hello, Ray. Good afternoon, Dennis. It's interesting that you've, you've had a squamous cell carcinoma on your leg. I had a... Uh, uh, a brush with this condition a number of years ago when uh, I thought 
what I had on my head was a fairly simple uh, lesion and went to my uh, GP who concurred with me that it was unlikely to be anything very serious. He fortunately and, and properly as a very competent GP who I've known all my life, uh, did a biopsy and uh, I got a phone call in the car one day. He said, you better get yourself back in here as quickly as you can. Um, that uh, biopsy shown that it's a squamous cell carcinoma. We need to uh, to get rid of it. And so I, fortunately it was a very small lesion at that stage and I was able to have it properly uh, excised in his surgery. Um, but these things can be caused quite troublesome, as you could imagine. Uh, you've got one on the leg. and It's um, been removed. Yes. Uh, by it really sizzled it with the uh, radiation. Yeah, OK. But, well, look, what, what I'd suggest But here, the, it's the damage to the surrounding skin. skin that's yep. healed up, uh, yeah. and that's uh, struggled and then um, yeah, yeah. healing. And mm. uh, uh, my mum, the, the, the uh, cancer clinic at Gateshead there, yes, the genesis. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, anyway, I'm just wondering, Dennis, if anything uh, in your experience you would have struck this? Uh... Yes, look, I, I, can, uh, I would uh, um, be amiss if I did not recommend to you what I've frequently spoken about on this program, and that is a topical application of a honey-based ointment. And usually uh, you, you could uh, go to your doctor or to your compounding pharmacist. Uh, usually the best blend or the best way of getting a honey ointment that would address something like this is to make sure that with the honey, and by the way, I don't think it matters whether it's Manuka honey or good, good Australian honey. My best results with my honey ointment years ago was, was essentially just using ordinary Australian honey. But uh, honey, which would also incorporate um, some cod liver oil in the, in the actual mixture, and the third constituent, and your pharmacist would know this, some uh, allantoin. Allantoin is a fascinating substance um, that is extracted from the herb comfrey. Uh, it's the active principle, or one of the active principles in the herb uh, comfrey, and it is renowned for its ability to promote uh, granulation of tissue, to promote heating like very few others can promote. Um, interestingly, it's also found in maggots, but I'm not suggesting you go down that pathway. But an, an ointment that would incorporate, a honey ointment that would incorporate uh, honey, cod liver oil and some allantoin, um, I would uh, give that a go like nothing else on earth and I would be very surprised. Where, that, would, uh, where would I look for that, Dennis? Uh, look, always go to your, your, your doctor or your pharmacist. If you can't find an area, you can always contact my rooms. Yeah, well, you, you keep that product there. It's best for you to contact the rooms. And if you'd like to uh, get the phone number, I'll put you on hold and Sally can give you the number in just a moment, Ray. Um, that answers your question? Yes, yes. It's, it's, it's been a bit lengthy and, uh, um, you know, it's a bit soggy and it, by now it should be healing. I, I have had... Uh, um, Dennis did look after a couple of leg ulcers on the other leg years ago and they all healed up. Yeah. And, and Ray, that's a big Ray, help because I'm not a diabetic. So. Well, that's good because you would probably realise, Ray, that this is a uh, something like a, a lesion like this in a, in a diabetic can be very, very, very serious. And that's, uh, that's where my honey ointment has worked well. But um, I, I'd give it a go. The, Ray, the more I work, and I say this genuinely and sincerely, 
the more I work with honey, the more I'm convinced that its day is yet to come. It's such a remarkable substance. If I get a chance either this week or next week, I'll talk about another African patient uh, who I saw yesterday who had a foot condition of 10 years duration, uh, a hideous uh, foot that had been investigated, treated and given up uh, over a 10-year period, even by uh, professionals in this region. Uh, the application of, of honey in an ointment form did something, did something that no one in 10 years has achieved. And it's not my skill, it's the, the application of this incredible healing agent, which, Ray, I'm sad to say, sad to say, is still not being taken on board by yeah. the medical profession. Mm, I yes. really worry about that, Jane, because it, it, the information is there. The best books on honey have always been written by medical practitioners, mm -hmm. always mm -hmm. written by medical practitioners, and particularly the topical application of honey has yet a role to play in dermatology, in surgery, in wound healing, that somewhere along the line has got to be taught in medical faculties. Yeah, that'd be a good thing to bring in, wouldn't it? It yeah. would indeed. Well, while we're um, thinking about mm. uh, diets, uh, well, because honey is also part of a diet. It is indeed. It? <laughs> we could talk about that because it is part of a diet with profound healing effects on the gut. There you go. So this African diet that you've yep. been talking about earlier today, uh, how does that compare with the Mediterranean well, diet? Well, I, I, thought, I, I thought a lot about this, and I think... The term that we used earlier, simplification, uh, is a term that probably applies to both diets. Now, I'm not suggesting from what we've been talking about today that we all take on board the African model. What we should take on board are principles that underpin that traditional diet with the traditional diet of the Mediterranean. And the Mediterranean diet, which is a diet that I've frequently spoken about and which I largely practice myself with my own eating habits, is a diet that's structured around simplification. A lot of vegetables, fresh vegetables, a disproportionate amount of vegetables. In the case of the Mediterranean diet, not a lot of um, protein other than that derived from fish. And of course, uh, using other traditional aspects of the diet, which are simple aspects, doing what people in the villages of the Mediterranean do, make their own wine. So... Uh, each each has the element of simplification. Each has the element of divesting themselves of the emphasis on refined carbohydrates, fast food, and the Western emphasis. Both of them are unique diets with outcomes very similar. The Mediterranean diet, it's remarkable in its effect to address uh, diabetes, particularly type 2 diabetes. So in many ways... They both share simplification and traditionalism. Wayne's rung in from Narong. And, Wayne, your question is about taking aloe vera juice to help with radiation for cancer. Yes, that's correct. I had a mate of mine quite a few years ago, and his uh, brother had stomach cancer. Yes. Uh, and with a bit of um, radiation yes. and stuff for two years. Yes. The cancer, he was completely in remission. And he was taking 25 ml of aloe vera juice of a morning and night. Yes. I was just wondering, I'm in my fifth week of radiation for yes. uh, prostate cancer. Yes. Uh, I only have a week to go. Yes. And I was wondering, uh, with the uh, finish of the radiation, 
if the aloe vera juice would um, help at all. Right, uh, Wayne, the, the, there is a tradition of using aloe vera juice as a means of ameliorating or lessening uh, some of the side effects of some radiation techniques. The, the Russians were the first to promote this idea, uh, and I believe there's some validity in it. I obviously don't have a lot to do with this in, in my work, but aloe vera is renowned when it is... Uh, we're talking about here, by the way, aloe vera juice. People must be cautious here that uh, they don't complicate um, aloe vera and think that one can just put it through a juicer and, and uh, take it that way. No, uh, aloe vera is comprised of an outer skin which is very, very potentially toxic and cathartic. It's the juice component that has the therapeutic benefits. And in Ayurvedic medicine, for instance, which I've practised and taught, uh, in Ayurvedic medicine, aloe vera is the primary remedy used to address many conditions, particularly via the gut. So, uh, And the good thing about it is it's a very safe uh, liquid to take, a very safe juice preparation, I see many of my patients using it to address things like uh, um, heartburn, as we call it, or reflux, uh, to address inflammatory conditions of, of the lower gut, who use it as a complementary therapy to what they might be receiving from their medical or naturopathic practitioner. And there's good grounds for seeing its benefit there. The tradition for using it as a means of ameliorating radiation damage uh, is not as easily understood as understanding it from the perspective of its benefit on the gut wall. But I could, I, I could see nothing wrong with using it. That from what you've said, though, Wayne, it seems as though you're at the, at the end of your uh, radiation treatment. Is that correct? Yes, I only have five more to go out of 20. Yeah. Well, I, I wonder if, if at this stage whether it's worth your while taking it. Please don't let me discourage you because it's, it's a very useful uh, herbal supplement but I wonder if using it at this stage is going to uh, have that much benefit for you when you've nearly worked your way through it. Right, okay. It's just that he he, he took it uh, a couple of years after uh, he had his his treatment and um, it completely, uh, yeah, he went into total remission. Well, look, I have a, a very, very good friend and colleague who underwent uh, radiation therapy for uh, prostate cancer probably 10 years ago, and uh, he has been in complete remission, happy, confident, getting on with his life. Uh, So uh, the aloe vera may have something to contribute to the remission, but the therapy that you're having itself is is good therapy. Right. And I've got got some very... um very capable people that are um, I'm in their hands at the present moment. Good, uh, good. I could not, I could not, um, uh, I, I could not get guarantee. Oh, well, what's the word I'm looking for? I couldn't commend them enough yep. um, for the work that they're doing. In fact, um, I, I said to Sam, uh, a, a guy, well, I haven't said it yet. But I'm going to ask him to do me a favour, and I don't pe- ask people to do me favours. And I'm going to ask him to do me a favour and not give up what he's doing because he is brilliant. Isn't that great? And <laughs> I think you know, just before we came onto the program, I was talking to dear Jane here about 
the resources that we have in the Hunter region and in, in health care. And I believe this area has got some of the best resources and some of the best practitioners in every aspect of medicine that we're likely to get in Australia. We live in a good paddock. Tim's rung in from Cameron Park. And chilli, you want to know about chilli, Tim? Yeah, that's right. Um, I've just recently started growing a few different varieties mm-hmm. and I'm just wondering about the different benefits um, that we can get from eating them, maybe like anti-inflammatory benefits and, and mm. others. Well, Tim, I could uh, talk to you all day about uh, capsicananum. That's the botanical name for what we call chilli, capsicananum. And right. uh, capsicananum uh, is one of the most revered uh, medicinal herbs all around the world. Um, it is not just a herb that is seen to uh, flavour food, but it has, is a herb that has some of the following properties that will have to be quick. In, yep. Use any, any chilli, um, and your choice of the chilli would be dependent upon your ability to, uh, to cope with the heat of the chilli because they all have varying levels. Of, yes. uh, of hotness, if you like. Fortunately, in our nurseries now, you can buy chilli plants that have uh, the, the uh, what would you call it, the level of, uh, of heat or pungency uh, associated with them. I actually like very, very hot chilli. I reckon I could win a competition, even in South America, uh, in eating chilies. Uh, I'm I going at the moment, and they are very, very hot. Well, I, I can handle that, but not everyone could, and I therefore warn people coming to Chile for the first time to start off slowly and gradually. You can yep. still get benefit, even from the chili, chili that's very, very mild. Chile, to start with, has a remarkable effect on promoting the digestive chemistry of the gut. In Ayurvedic medicine, it's considered to be the primary remedy to generate what's called Agni, A-G-N-I, and that is the fire of digestion. So digestive problems where you have a subdued digestive chemistry, an intolerance for certain foods, where the gut is underactive, uh, a small amount of chilli taken regularly with our food enhances the secretion at every level of the digestive apparatus. That's principle number one. The second thing is a a regular use of chilli is very regulatory on the bowel. Now, I'll not, not elaborate. If you take too much of this, you'll get more than regulation. You'll get purging. But a small amount of it regularly in the diet is a good way of helping the gut function properly and promote a healthy transit time through the system. The third most important thing about chili is that it is remarkable in its ability when regularly taken as a medicinal herb, either uh, as, a, as a supplement or ideally in the diet, in promoting what we call peripheral circulation. Uh, people, right. people that suffer uh, cold extremities can very, very much experience the valuable effects of capsicum on a better promotion of blood flow to the peripheries. I could talk okay. about that a lot. And finally, and I'm racing a bit now because the, the clock's against us, chilli contains uh, a constituent in it known as an oleoresin, And that oleoresin gives to topical applications, lotions, creams, um, any gels, will give to those preparations a remarkable ability to progressively subdue pain uh, associated with many areas, particularly nerve-based pain. Uh, For instance, a preparation called Zostrix is based on chili. 
and it is a popular and very effective remedy for, for handling uh, uh, herpes lesions. Uh, and we're talking here about herpes zoster. So as a topical application incorporating chili, you can expect pain relief, significant pain relief. That's why it's popularly used in many preparations that you get from your pharmacy or health food store. I think we'll have to um, mm. program on chili again mm. soon. Mm. John joins us from Valentine, and your question's about late-onset dermatitis, John. Yeah, hi. Thanks for taking the call. Hello, John. Um, oh, oh, hello. I've probably got two questions. So 12 months ago, I had a turp done on my prostate. Yes, yes, yes. And about 10 months ago... And nine months ago, I started getting these um, uh, rashes, like little. It started like little blisters yes. uh, on my legs yes. and, and arms, predominantly. Yes. And um, after following up through a specialist, etc., yes. etc., I've been, um, you know, given copious quantities of Elura fat ointment. Yeah, that I, I'm using copious quantities of it, and. Um, uh, also, uh, moisturiser. I don't seem to be able to get on top of it. So my two questions are: mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm 59. I'm in good health. Yep. No diabetes or any such thing. Bit of blood pressure. Um, carry a little bit of extra weight. But I'm, I'm just wondering whether you've ever heard of uh, the, the prostate operation um, that was through a benign swollen prostate over mm-hmm. you now 30 years. I only had to have it done because I started to close off. Um, that, that operation and this situation I find myself in with this um, dermatitis that's mm-hmm. really becoming a pain. Look, I, I don't, I'm not aware of there being any direct correlation between a transurethral resection, which is what you're referring to, and the onset of a, of a dermatitis or eczema. I think it's more likely that the stress, the anxiety, the trauma, the worry associated with the procedure may have triggered it off. It seems to me as though it's more likely to be what's called a neurodermatitis, a a nerve-based dermatitis, which unfortunately, once it's established, can be a little bit difficult in getting rid of. My eczema came on as a young man as a result of profound trauma and took years before I conquered it. Fortunately, I know how to conquer it. What I'd suggest, uh, John, to you, and I'll have to be quick, is start to do a, a, a few things. You need, in my opinion, to start to use things like oil of evening primrose as a supplement. Uh, you certainly need, and I'm talking from my opinion and clinical experience here, to think about using the herb viola tricolor, or heart's ease, as it's called, as an oral medication in conjunction with the common herb known as stinging nettle, usually in a liquid preparation, and the second, the third thing I would suggest you consider using, particularly when the, the, the dermatitis is, is not fiery, is going to your compound pharmacist and requesting an ointment based on an extract of licorice known as glycerotinic acid. Now, I've been quick there, but I know a lot about dermatitis and eczema, believe you me, and I've treated a lot of it, not only my, or myself over the years, but many other people. Putting on what you're using will give relief. And sometimes that's sufficient to push it into remission. But if it lingers, don't let it linger too long. And in my opinion, try then to access what I've spoken about, the herbs 
oil of evening primrose and a topical application based on the extract of licorice. And in our last few seconds, Gavin from Soldiers Point. Now, your dad used to drink a mixture of honey, apple cider and hot water. And you want to know whether it's based on good things? Hello, Gavin. Um, G'day, Dennis. Um, yeah, he couldn't drink tea. Yes, okay. Uh, he used to get angina every time he drank yeah, tea. Okay. Well, look, I know a little bit about this because my dear mother that I've referred to on this program earlier, uh, who lived to a very, very ripe uh, old age, I think a lot of her long life was put down to her long history of using apple cider vinegar uh, that she recommended to me every time I saw her, using that in conjunction, in conjunction with a very simple and traditional diet. It's good enough for your dad, it was good enough for my mum. It's got to be the goods. That's health naturally for today. Thank you, Dennis Stewart. And uh, some great questions coming up there. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.